Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Well, we are so thrilled about today. We had an incredible Christmas in our home and with our family. I hope you had an incredible week. Uh, Oftentimes, the closer we get to New Year's, I'm aware that we wake up and we begin to think, man, this is not what I expected, (laughs) right? Sometimes we get to those seasons in life where we wake up and are like, this is not where I thought I would be. And I used to think, when I was younger, I used to think, well, it's a certain age or it's a certain stage. But the older I get, the more I realize you don't have to wait till a certain age. You don't have to wait until a certain stage to wake up with this idea, man, this isn't what I expected. I mean, sometimes I meet college students that they're in that stage already. They're thinking, man, I'm in college. I've already changed my major two or three times. I was just waiting for elbows or the chuckle of truth in some homes, right? I, you know, I've been in college and I thought, man, I, I thought by now I would know what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life. And yet I wake up and I'm like, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know what major. I don't know. I, I don't know. And sometimes I talk to people that are out of college. I thought, man, when I got out of college and I got that degree, I thought, man, I'm going to get a great job. I'm going to get a job in my field. I'm going to get a job that pays really well, and it's going to be amazing. And sometimes we wake up, and I don't know what I'm going to major in. Sometimes we wake up, and we're thought, man, this isn't the job I was expecting. Sometimes people wake up, and they think, man, I thought by this age, I thought I'd be married. I thought by this time, I would be married, and yet I'm not married. This is not what I expected it to be. I just want to acknowledge that sometimes people wake up and they're like, man, I'm married, but it's not the marriage I thought it would be. I thought I'd be happier. I thought we'd be be doing all this great stuff. I thought it would be one of those romantic Hallmark card kind of moments. Sometimes people are like, man, I thought once we had kids that would fill the gap in our life. I thought once we had kids that would fill the void. And then then they're like, but I just woke up and I'm just busy all the time and I'm broke. Awesome, right? And and the deal is at every point in our life, it's possible for us to wake up and for us to think, man, I thought it would be different. Well, the truth is this morning, As we jump into the Bible, we're in a book of the Bible that honestly I have never preached from before. I've never heard a sermon from it before. It's a little, in my Bible, two pages, just two one-sided pages book called Haggai. Now, if there's not a better reason to download the Sugar Hill Church app, this is a great reason to download it because in the Sugar Hill Church app, you click resources and message notes. You don't have to find that little book in your Bible. So that's just a little side note. Download the app. It's awesome. But Haggai is this great little book because what it records is it records about the nation of Israel. If you're here back in August, we were in a series uh, through the book of Daniel. And as we were looking at this series in the book of Daniel, we met a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the enemy. What happened in the nation of Israel is one of David's sons, Solomon, was the next king after David, and Solomon built this amazing temple. He built this huge temple that was in the center of Jerusalem. It was immaculate. I mean, it it had so much detail and so much gold and and just so much uh, amazing decoration that people would travel from all over the known world just to see it. I mean, it was amazing. And this temple was in the center of city to, to be this reminder that God's to be the center of our life. 
And so it was this physical reminder that something spiritual is true, that God is to be in the center of life and that everything in the city of Jerusalem was to be done in the shadow of the presence of God. Well, back in the book of Daniel, we read about Nebuchadnezzar coming in and what happens is this enemy king rises up. See, for a while when Solomon built the temple, the nation of Israel does well. They worship God, they serve him. They're like, God, we're gonna do whatever you want us to do. But over time, they got lazy. Over time, they got spiritually flabby. Over time, they begin to forget the priority of God and they begin to worship false God. They they begin to worship false idols. And so God allowed them to be judged by the enemy. So Nebuchadnezzar rises up as this enemy king. He comes into Jerusalem. He takes them captive. Now, it's easy for me to say that on a Sunday morning and not think about it, but to take them captive. Imagine an enemy government showing up here today. Imagine an enemy government kicking out all the leaders of our land. And and now in one moment, we go from being Americans to being captives of another country. This is what's happening in their day and age. And so Nebuchadnezzar takes them captive and he tears down the temple. He destroys it. And so physically, they're removed from Jerusalem. Physically, you're looking at the city landscape, and now the temple is gone. And for the next 70 years, the nation of Israel cries out for help. God, where are you? God, God, where are you at? God, we're your people, and we're supposed to worship in your city, and we're supposed to be at your temple. God, why did you allow the enemy to show up? God, why did you allow them to take us captive? God, why, why, why? And so finally for them, it seems like maybe the time is turning. And so what begins to happen is about the 70th year of their captivity, the the enemy kingdom allows 50,000 people to return back to Jerusalem. It allows them to return back and their one task to do when they go back to Jerusalem is to rebuild the temple. Now think about how significant that is. For, for 50 to 70 years, they've only wanted one thing. For 50 to 70 years, they've been wondering, God, when can we go home? And God, when can we rebuild? God, when can we go? And so finally, God allows them to go back. Those 50,000 people show up in Jerusalem thinking, man, I thought it would be different. They go to work on the temple. They lay the foundation. They build this first altar. And then in that moment they experience opposition. In that moment, things don't go well. In that moment, the Samaritans offer to help and the the people in Jerusalem are like, we don't want your help. And then they go to antagonize them. And what happens after 50 years of wanting to return, after 50 years of we wanna build the temple, we wanna build God's house, they get back and within two years, they quit. Within two years of finally returning home, within two years of finally getting to rebuild God's temple, within two years of starting the task, they quit. And the thing that they say over and over and over again is the time is not now. This isn't the time. This isn't the time for us to build the temple. This isn't the time for us to restore the glory of God in the middle of the city of God. It's not the right time. And so for the next 14, 15, 16 years, these people live back in Jerusalem. They've laid the foundation and they stop. And because God's such a loving God, he sends Haggai the prophet to say, the time is now. How could people 
that have been asking the question, God, when do we get to return? How could they stop? How could people that know this is what God wants me to do, to restore his temple, to restore his glory, to live like he's in charge of our life, how could they stop? Well, if you're taking notes today, if you've got one of the handouts, I'm going to ask you to write down three excuses of why they would say the time is not now. If you're following along in the app, you can scroll through the slides and you can track along with that. But reason number one or excuse number one why anybody would say the time is not now is number one because it's too hard. It's too hard. It's too hard. Listen to what it says. Haggai chapter one, verse two. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts. So this is God talking to the people. This is God speaking through Haggai, this prophet. And here's what God says in verse two. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the, rebuild the house of the Lord. Talking about the temple. The, the, the time has not yet come, but look at that first phrase. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people. I think that's kind of funny. Because when you look throughout the Old Testament, ordinarily what you hear God say is my people. Right? My people, my people, my people, my people, my people. And now you get to Haggai chapter one where they have been uh, disobedient and they're frustrating him. God goes from saying my people to these people. I don't know if you've heard that. I've heard that uh, in friends' lives. I, I remember we were out to eat with some friends a, a couple of weeks ago and the, the wife said to the husband, your son, now y'all have never said that, have you? Went from our child, our perfect child, the smartest, proudest, right? I've got the, the bumper sticker on the back to your son, right? And so God in the middle of this chapter says, these people, these people, these people, listen to this. These people say the time has not come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Why would they say that? Excuse number one, it is too hard. So they show up and they build that first level and they build that first altar. They get started and the moment they get started, opposition comes. And it's as if they think, well, if this is God's plan, if God wants us to do this, then it should be easy. That's their mentality. If this is God's plan, if this is what God wants me to do, then when I show up and I begin to rebuild this temple, if the timing is right, then it ought to be easy. All the details ought to fall in place. There shouldn't be any opposition. Everybody should come around us and cheer us. And so in their mind, they're thinking, if this is of God, it ought to be easy. But since it's hard, it must not be the right time. In fact, as they're making this excuse, it's too hard. It's as if they're saying, God, it's your fault we're not building this. God, if you're in charge, and God, if you're so loving, and God, if you have such a great plan, then it ought to be easy. But since it's hard, God, we showed up. We traveled back to Jerusalem. We laid the foundation. We built the first altar, and now you've allowed the enemy to show up. God, it is just too hard. And I think sometimes we we fall into that same boat. I think there's been times in my life where, where, where God's been stirring something inside of me. God's been saying, Bobby, there's something I want you to do. There's somebody I want you to talk to. There, there's a step I want you to take. And, and, and oftentimes there have been moments in my life where I've sensed what God wanted me to do and I've almost gone and done it. But in the middle of it, there was friction. In the middle of it, there was stress. And I've fallen into that same boat. I don't know if you have where I've said it is just too hard. But if you're taking notes, just write down this phrase. The closer we get to something that matters, the closer we get to something that matters, 
the more opposition we will face. See, oftentimes when we think, well, well, if this is of God, then it's going to be easy. And then the moment we feel opposition, well, this obviously is not God. Man, I want to tell you that this, the, 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 the presence of opposition doesn't mean that God's against you. What it could mean is the very opposite, that God is, is for you. Because when we're living life on the sideline, when we're just a mere spectator, when we're just sitting back in our comfort like they were doing previously, there's not going to be opposition. There's no reason for the enemy to attack a church that isn't doing anything for God. There's no reason for for the enemy to attack a family that's not doing anything for God. There's no reason for the enemy to attack a business or a home that's not doing anything for God because we're our own worst enemy. If we're not doing anything for God, if we're not being obedient to what God's called us to do, we've already defeated ourselves. And so the enemy doesn't have to take notice. The enemy doesn't pay attention to families that don't care about God. The enemy doesn't care about, doesn't focus on churches that aren't doing anything for God. But the moment we say yes, the moment we begin to say, God, I want to do what you've called me to do. It's as if we light up on the radar screen of the enemy and the enemy begins to attack. And life gets hard. And if we're not careful, we'll say, well, I quit. If we're not careful, we'll say, well, this isn't the right time. I, you know, I, I want to be obedient to God, but I'm going to wait. I'm going I'm to wait another year. I'm going to wait 14 years. I'm going to wait 40 years, and we miss out on what God wants us to do. So if you're taking notes, here's the phrase I'm going to ask every person to write down. Here's the phrase. I will choose to do the hard right over the easy wrong. I will choose, I will choose to do the hard right because as they're building this temple, they're like, it's hard, but that's the right thing to do. And that's gonna be true for us. Whatever that thing is, God's asked you to do. Let me ask you this question. Is there some unfinished thing that God's asked you to do? Is there some assignment that God's placed in your heart to do? Maybe it was to reach out to somebody this year. Maybe it was to say, I'm sorry to somebody this year. And you're like, man, that's just going to be hard. That's going to be awkward if I call them. That's going to be awkward if I text them. I, I, I don't know if I can do that, but I'm going to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. It could be that there's a conversation we need to have. Maybe, maybe it's somebody we need to share our faith with, our hope with, our joy with. And you're like, man, that's going to be difficult. That's going to be awkward. That's going to be hard. But this year, I'm going to choose to do the hard right over the easy wrong because opposition is not a sign that God's against us. It's a sign that we're doing what God has asked us to do. The closer we get to something meaningful, the more opposition we face. So excuse number one, it is too hard. Excuse number two, if you're taking notes, the second reason why these people went from 50 years of we can't wait to get back to Jerusalem to 14 years of we're not going to do anything because it's too hard. Excuse number two is, is we don't know what to do. Excuse number two, we don't know what to do. And so what happens is they, they experience opposition from the enemy. So the Samaritans begin to make it difficult for them. And so listen to what it says in verse four. Is it a time, well, let me back up to the end of verse two again. These people say the time has not yet come. So here's this phrase over and over again. It's not time, it's not time, it's not time. This is not the year, this is not the moment. I don't need to have that conversation. I don't need to make that phone call. I don't need to make amends. This is not the right time. For them, it's this is not the right time for us to build. Verse four, God uses that phrase. He says, well, is it a time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? 
And I did research on that phrase, panel houses, and it, it can mean several things, but regardless of the exact meaning of it, what it does mean is he, God's like, for the last 14 years, my house has lied in ruins, and so instead of building my house, you built your own house. And that paneled houses, what that literally means is it means it was a nice house. It was finished. So while my house is unfinished, God says, you're living in a finished house. See, God's not against us having nice houses. God's not against, but what he is against is he's against us putting our own comforts ahead of his calling. What he is against is us saying, God, instead of doing the thing that you've called me to do, I'm going to focus my own comfort. So God, you called me to rebuild this temple, but it's hard. So God, instead of building your temple, I'm going to focus on my house. I'm going to finish my house. It's going to be amazing. And so here's what God says. So is this the time for you to dwell in paneled houses while my house lies in ruins? Verse five, now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the host, the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, consider your ways. You have sown much and you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Let me translate that. He's saying you're working harder than you've ever worked and yet you have nothing to show for it. You've been killing it day after day after day and you still feel empty. You've been making money, but it seems like the more money you make, the less that you have. How amazingly similar does that sound to our generation thousands of years later? He's like, man, you, you, you've forgotten your calling, so you've worked on your comfort. You're like, I'm gonna have a bigger house. I'm gonna have a bigger paycheck. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have all of this stuff. And he's like, at the end of the day, you're still empty. At the end of the day, you're still wanting. At the end of the day, you still feel like there's something missing from your life. And as they're hearing this, I'm sure they're like, yes, that's the way we feel. We, we returned to Jerusalem. We came back. We thought that was going to be great. But instead, we still feel empty. We don't know what to do. What do you do? I love how practical God is. If you have your Bibles, look at this. Or if you're following along in the app, listen to what God says in verse 7. He says this phrase again, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Consider your ways, listen to verse eight, go up to the hills, bring wood, and build the house. I don't know if you caught that or not, but sometimes when we're in staff meetings, we'll rib each other, we'll talk about, you know, every person that's ever on a platform, there's certain mannerisms that we have, and there's certain things we say. Pastor Chuck is amazing because no matter how complex the situation is, he's like, it's really this simple. <laughs> And he's like, it's one, two, and three, right? He's got three things, right? And then for me, whenever I preach, I'm like, big point number one, big point number two, big point number three. And then I get ribbed whenever all my points have the same letter, which I avoided at all costs today because I didn't want to get made fun of this week, right? Or I'll get up on the platform and I'll say, now here's a guy. And I'll, you know, I'll just, you, there's certain things we do. Well, for me, I'm, I'm a three-point kind of guy. I know some people, they don't, they don't, need points when they're teaching, but the way my brain thinks, I need it to be sequential. I need, and so as soon as I read this verse, I'm like, this is awesome. 
Here are these people that are like, we don't know what to do. We return and it's just stressful and there's, there's all this opposition. If this was of God, then it would have been easy. We're gonna build our own house. We're gonna focus on comfort instead of calling. We don't know what to do. And here's what God says. Look at verse eight again. Go up to the hill, bring wood and build the house. What do we do? Step one, go up the mountain. <laughs> Step two, bring down wood. Step three, build the house. I don't know if you call that or not. God, I don't know what to do. Well, here's what you do. Go up the hill, cut down the trees, and build my house. But that's hard, exactly. But I'm gonna choose to do the hard right over the easy wrong, and so I'm gonna go up into the mountains. I'm gonna cut down the trees. I'm gonna do what? Build the house. And what happens in my life, this is just confession morning for me, in my life, I can preach three points, but in my head and my heart, what I really want is 10. All right, God, one, two, and three, that sounds great, but now let's just talk about steps four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. I wanna know the details. I don't know if you're that way or not. I wanna know the details. I wanna know how the end of the story is. I wanna know, God, what's gonna happen next? When I take this step, what's gonna happen next? And here's what God says, you don't need the details. You can't handle the details. If I showed you steps 10 through 20, you would get so overwhelmed, you wouldn't know where to start. And so when you're asking the question, I don't know what to do, here's what you do. Step one, go up into the mountain. Step two, cut down the tree. Step three, build my house. See, I think so often we want to know the rest of the steps. And God says, you're never going to know the rest of the steps until you take the next step. You're never going to see step four. You're never going to see step five. You're never going to see step six unless you take the first step of obedience. That I'm going to choose God's calling over my comfort. I'm going to take the, I may not know how this is going to end. I may not know what the temple is going to look like, but I'm going to do the next thing that God ask me to do. Is this tracking with you? Is this making sense to you? Man, this, this is something that's just been, been rattling around in my soul the last couple of weeks that God is so practical. Here's what you do. Let me give you some examples of this. So we already, you know, every time New Year's rolls around, we talk about, here's what's going to be different. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to lose 10 pounds in 10 seconds and it's going to be amazing. I don't know what to do. What do, what do you do if you want to get healthier? Step number one, get eight hours of sleep. Step number two, eat healthy. Step three, exercise. I don't know what to do. Well, you can do those three things, right? Hey, this year I want to get out of debt. I, I, I don't, I've got all these bills and it's just all piling up. I don't know what to do. Step number one, ask somebody for help. In fact, in February, we're offering again Financial Peace University, an amazing class that's for anybody, not just those that are desperate, is for anybody to say, I want to handle God's money. So step number one, find somebody, get advice from somebody. Step number two, spend less than you make. And step three, use the excess to pay off debt. I don't know what to do. Well, I can do those three things, right? Right, what, what, what is it that God's asking you to do? Well, maybe this is a year you're like, man, I want to have a better marriage this year. I don't know what to do. Number one, suck up your pride. Step number two, say, I'm sorry. And step three, go back to doing the things that you did when you first started dating. Take them on dates. Treat them, treat them like the royalty that they are. Is this making sense? See, a lot of times we've got this unfinished thing inside of us and when we don't know what to do, we're like, I'm going to choose comfort over calling. And God says, do the next thing. I tell you, so excuse number one uh, is too hard. Excuse number two, I don't know what to do. Step number, or, or excuse number three, it's probably not going to work out anyway. 
I don't know if you have that voice inside of you. But sometimes I hear that voice. Well, it's not going to work anyway. It's not going to be good. I mean, I, I, you've tried that before. And you can apply that to a zillion different areas of your life. Well, man, if I call them, and if I say, I'm sorry, it's just going to blow up. It's going to be awkward. It's not going to work. If I put myself out there, man, the last time I put my heart out there with somebody, it got crushed. I'm not going to do it. And the last time I, I tried to do that, and, and you just fill in that gap. What is that unfinished thing? What is that thing God's asked you to do? Process it through this lens. Process this message through that lens. What is that? It could be something God asked you to do last week. It could be something God asked you to do 14 years ago. I don't know, but what is that thing God asked you to do? And in the middle of it, we're like, but I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know how it's going to work. In their day and age, there was naysayers. There's people that remembered the stories about Solomon's temple. Man, Solomon's temple is amazing. It's immaculate. It was awesome. It's opulent. It's un unbelievable. People would travel from all over the world to see it. And now there's these naysayers saying, but this temple we're rebuilding, it'll never be that good. It'll never look that great. It'll never be that grand. It'll never be what it used to be. And sometimes we have that voice inside of us. If I put myself out there, it's never going to be good again. Hey, I made this mistake this last year. It'll never be good again. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm just going to do my own thing. And here's what I want to say this morning is you never know. You'll never know the blessing of God until you live in obedience to God. Man, on the other side of obedience is great blessing. On the other side of obedience is this great fervor on the other side of obedience is man God is doing something in us see see what is that thing that God's asked you to do is it to reach out to somebody is it to share your faith with somebody is it maybe for some of you man spiritually there's never been a moment you surrendered your life to Christ and maybe that's the thing that God's asking you to do what is that unfinished thing then as you think about that unfinished thing write this phrase down the outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is mine. Outcome. Like, I don't know how it's going to turn out. It's not going to be great. It's, 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 it's going to fail. So if it's not going to be great, then I'm not even going to start. Listen, the outcome is not your responsibility. The outcome is not your responsibility. It's not your responsibility for something to turn out great. It's not your responsibility for that conversation to go really, really well. It's not your responsibility for everything to go perfect. Your responsibility is I'm going to obey God. God's responsibility is he'll make it turn out however he intends it to be. See, here's what God says to them in the middle of verse 13. I am with you. So today as you go and you begin to say, I want to do the hard right Instead of the easy wrong, God says, I will go with you. When you're thinking about, man, I, I, there's something I need to do. I need to be saved. I need to be baptized. I need to plug into a group. I need to start a group. I need to serve someplace. I need to give something to somebody. God says, trust me with obedience, and I'll bring about the results. Would you bow your heads for prayer? And as we pray, would you just quietly, as we pray, very quietly stand to your feet, just very, very quietly, very reverently. Would you just stand up as we pray? 
I just sense so strongly this morning that there's this unfinished thing that God's asked us to do. It could be from this last week or it could be from years and years ago. But as we pray this morning, I wanna pray for what God's doing in this room. I wanna pray for what God's doing in homes, online and on, on mobile devices. Is there anybody that would say, Bobby, as you pray, would you pray for me? Because as you're talking about that unfinished thing, I, I know what that is. And maybe you're just like these people, it's overwhelming, it's messy and I don't know what to do, but you just say, Bobby, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? Would you pray that God would help me to see the next step? I don't know the next five steps, but God, would you show me the next step? If that's you and you'd allow me to pray for you, would you just quietly slip your hand straight up in the air, straight up in the air? Yeah. Yeah. Put your hands down. And as we pray today, it could be that you just want to slip out and just take a knee at this altar. There's nothing magical about this step, but there is something about posture to say, God, I surrender. God, I, I give this to you. God, I, I, I ask for your leadership. So even now as we pray, if that's you, if you just want to make your way out, if you just want to come and kneel, if you want to pray, if you want to, if you want to return to making God the center of your life, I invite you to do that. I invite you to do it all across the room as people are coming, this altar's open as we pray. Dear Jesus, today, I thank you that you're near. I thank you that you're with us. I thank you that you equip us for whatever that is that you've called us to do. As we pray, would you just tell him what is that thing that God's asking you to do? Would you just confess that to him? Would you just do what he says in Haggai 1? Examine your thoughts, examine your ways. God, would you help me to know what to do and how to do it? Maybe for you, there's never been a moment you've been saved. That's where it all starts to say, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. Just tell them that. I know, I know there's this wedge between me and you. But I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you're alive today. And as best as I know how, I ask you to be the leader, the Lord of my life. And if you just pray that for the very first time, whether it's online or in this room, and I'd love to know that. You can swing by the meet and greet room if you're here in the room or if you're watching online, you can just hit the little prayer button that's on the webpage and just let us know, man, I prayed that today so we can help you know next steps, next steps. Maybe you're a believer and you've walked away from that first love like they did. God's not the center of your life. Would you just, in, in the posture of your heart, say, God, I'm returning to you. Father, all across this room, I pray that you'd give us the courage to see that the time is now. God, help us to look past our excuses, look past the opposition, and help us to do now what you've asked us to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, 
please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.